Technology stocks drove a rally again in U.S. equities as we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average top 160 points and the S&P 500 increased six tenths of one percent, increasing the index up 20 percent since its October lows, thus signaling a bull market. Welcome Woo-hoo! everyone to Buy, Hold, Sell. I'm your trader Todd Schoenberger and I am joined by my friend and co-host Tobin Smith who is in a hotel lobby right now in Los Angeles, California, about to give a keynote speech. I'm guessing at the bar or maybe in the ballroom, but who knows? We'll get to that later on. And we have a very special guest with us today, Janet Alvarez. She is host of the Daily Business Briefing on Sirius XM Radio, as well as chief of the Dallas Express News. Did I get that right, Dallas Express? <laughs> I think so. So, <laughs> Janet, thank you so much for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, that's great. Well, I want to start with well, you. Well, we haven't finished I... the show yet, Alex, but don't get too jiggy, all right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I want to start with you, Janet, because you have been speaking about this market for some time. You can, you obviously, you're, you're right there. You're right in the middle of it. And all I know is that we see a bull market. Everybody is optimistic, but it wasn't meant to be this way. Are we going to see this rally continue for the rest of the quarter and beyond? You know, there are a lot of people who seem to think that we're going to be breaking out now, that the limited breadth that we've been seeing in this market for some time is ending and that we're going to see an increase in breadth. And that's probably going to lead to a breakout in this market. There's a lot of bullish sentiment now. Uh, The recession that people had been expecting hasn't really materialized. Jobs are still pretty healthy. The economy overall is still pretty strong. Corporate earnings haven't really uh, been beaten down. So there's strong reason to believe that this is going to be a bullish environment for months to come. Okay, well, I see that. Toby, what do you think? I mean, we were talking last week with Chris Rowe from True Market Insiders. Both of you guys seem a bit on the uh, pessimistic side. I mean, but right now, all I'm seeing is green on the screen. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, th- I think there's a significant historical context here. And, and I'm not one of the ones who really got too jiggy about Brett because every freaking bull market lacks Brett. I mean, if you go back and look at almost everyone, uh, particularly in its, uh, you know, sort of the beginning stage, it's, it's always eight to 10 stocks. It was Cisco. It was, you know, MicroStrategy in 1990, 1998. It was Dell. And then, you know, we got into uh, Apple uh, coming out in 2007 in June. And then it was Apple. And it was Apple suppliers, Qualcomm and blah, blah. You know, this is not unique. I I think the strange part, and and yeah, and uh, uh, one thing I've been looking at is the uh, Russell 2000, right? The small guys. There's so many mixed messages, obviously, uh, we've never been here before, Janet, I would say that in terms of post-pandemic, post-European war invasion, post-China, China, United States, now basically in, in you know, the next Cold War. So there's a lot of mitigating you know, macro stuff. But then in the micro, you know, the jobs numbers today were bad. So bad was good today. I, I've never, I know, I, I just don't know what week is good, good or is bad, bad. And, and that to me just re- speaks of the confusion. And as a money manager and a, you know, wealth manager, it's like, dude, just buy yeah. the freaking 12 stocks and don't, you know, have, worry your pretty little head about it. Because right. that's really, at the end of the day, if they don't own them, they trail and, it, you know, they take the money away. If well, they, here's the thing. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Janet. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the, the ambiguity is absolutely right. You know, and there have been two camps. You know, there are the people who think the Fed has already done enough. Money supply is, is constricting. We're going to see a rapid deceleration. 
um, and a recession is surely to come. Yeah. And there are those who believe the Fed hasn't done enough, that this economy, this market has been quite resilient, the consumer still resilient, the Fed still has more of a job to do. And look, the global macro picture does raise eyebrows, right? You know, the big headline today was that Europe is now officially in a recession. They're actually- Absolutely. China's in, in a recession. EU's in a recession. But that Russia, a, I don't even know what a recession is in Russia. I, I mean, know, if they gained means, 20%, I mean, they'd still be in a depression. Yeah, but it means we're the safe haven, right? So if European stocks look weak, yes. uh, if people don't want to invest in China right now, that means that we're the least smelly, dirty sock in the bin. You know, we're, we're no, the I've never haven. heard it put quite that way. Yeah, I, I like it. I like, I, I like it that. I, I, I may steal it. Toby, Toby, here's the thing, though. You talk about these small cap stocks. Russell 2000 is up to a seven and a half percent in the month of June. And then yeah. you talk about these seven or eight stocks that are actually pushing the market higher, melting up, so to speak. Does it matter, though? I mean, does it really matter? I mean, this is the 21st century. We are really the nucleus of everything is technology and the evolution of technology. So does it really matter it's only a handful of stocks that's pushing this market higher? I don't think it does. I mean, I think a lot of people are really concerned about it, but I think- um, if I, That was sort of my point. You, yeah, you may have said it nicer. Yeah, I think if okay. we have an AI-led boom, for example, I think that's as good as any other type of boom. Listen, you know, there have been specific industries and sectors that have driven bullish markets in the past and that have propelled the economy in the past. And so if we're tech propelled right now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's perfectly logical and reasonable given where we are in this cycle, given where we are in terms of just yeah. uh, scientific and technological development. Now, Tom, yeah. since I just sold a book to Random House called the uh, AI Investors Playbook for 2023 to 2030, um, nice. I've been sort of deep in the weeds in this. What's interesting is, again, when you get the herd mentality, when I was a money manager guy, the chief of strategy or whatever would call us in and say, uh, excuse me, uh, Janet, for these words, get me the fuck in those, in those freaking net stocks. I, I don't care what it is. You've got to get in there because we don't have enough. And people are going to pull money out if they we don't have a lot of Cisco and, and Dell and, uh, God, BlackBerry and so on and so forth. And I understand that mentality. And, and to a degree, that's where we're at. And also, you notice that the NASDAQ was down today. Uh, so you can't go up 190% in three months without having people want to take profits, like me. And so we took a lot of profits on it on, on video. Not after Kathy Wood. I don't do anything that Kathy Wood does, but she uh, she was very famous to be behind it. And she was very famous to be the first one to sell it. I mean, just portfolio management says if one position is up 190% and it went from 3% of our portfolio to 7% of a portfolio, uh, I'm in the business of not having people lose money. So we, we did take some profits there. But I agree. I, okay. I agree, Janet, that, that you know, th this age of AI, it, it was interesting today, Sam Altman, you know, the founder of OpenAI, came out and said, you know, this chat GPT thing that we created, I'm worried as hell about it. Well, that was, that actually hit AI stocks today since the poster child of AI said he thinks that uh, chat GDP is out of, out of control. I'd counter with the fact that it's not artificial intelligence. It's machine learning. It's algorithmic machine learning. That's what yeah. chat GBT yeah. is. So I, I the AI is not really hit yet. I think Go the ahead, big dumpling block that AI could face is regulatory pressure, right? Because oh, I no think question. there's a lot of questions around intellectual property. And if you generate an idea or if you generate a product using AI, whose property is it? And to what degree do you have ownership over it? And then there are a lot of ethical concerns and questions that will raise regulatory concerns too. And that's right now in the shadow of the many banking crisis that we've had, of the SEC's big regulatory actions against Coinbase Crypto. and finance. And so I think the big questions are the legislative and regulatory actions that are 
become for AI? What do they mean? What sort of guardrails and parameters are going to be put on that industry? That's where I think investors need to take a little bit of a closer look just to be prepared for well, that. Well, Janet, you make, a, you make a great point. I mean, uh, uh, in the Netherlands today, they came out with their DAL regulation and said, based on our regulation, I can't do a Dutch accent, Todd. I try, but I just can't do it. Um, <laughs> they, that, that the scraping, you know, which I call stealing, uh, is of copyrighted is, is illegal. Now, I happen to uh, be an investor and a, um, I did a long interview with a company called Versus AI that is a public company that yesterday and today announced their patented, uh, not HTML, but they have a thing called HSML that allows, in Europe, you have to be able to audit on a website where the hell your stuff came from. And the fines are five to fifteen million dollars if if you're you're taking copyrighted well these guys have taken billions and billions of bits of copyrighted material so there are going to be these guardrails and, and versus is the one company out there in the world right now that has a solution and the EU just paid them five million dollars to test their solution on just a very limited test um, but but you know we've all heard of HTML and TCPIP during the uh, net days look for the word <laughs> HSML. Um, this is spatial uh, content that allows you to overlay H, you know, HTML, and it shows where it came from and the authenticity of it. Because you're exactly mm -hmm. right, Janet. It, mm -hmm. You could kill the baby, you know, quick if you start throwing out. And and you know, remember in Europe, that's the land of the cookie. For God's sakes, it's the GTBR, um, you know, guidelines. They are very, very cognizant. Maybe because they've been around a lot longer than us, and they had artists back in the 13th century. I don't know, but it's uh, it's that's their. They get jiggy with it, and uh, you're going to have to have these guardrails. And then people are going to mm -hmm. have to learn that Chat GPT is just like Siri, except it's a giant spreadsheet in the sky in the middle of the cloud, and it's dumb as hell. It doesn't know a goddamn thing. But it knows how to it knows how to use logarithms and machine learning to put together. You know, it, right. remember the Nvidia chip, the three thousand does a thirty trillion dollar excuse me thirty trillion calculations per second. That is what is unleashed AI because we've had AIs around older than me, Todd, if you can believe it. But uh -huh. there was a whole, there was a Civil War know, era. 40, 50 years ago. I mean, um, we've been using algorithms since like the twelfth century. You know, this yeah. stuff is not new, but it was just the lack of speed. So yeah. Um, and the with learning too, these language neural networks is that the more people use them, the better they become, right? The more no question. give them, the more we correct them, the better they become. They become a reflection of ourselves, so to speak, of our of our queries. Right. Well, you know, it is sort of how the brain works. You're a child and you don't know squat, and then you know you get punished a few times. Okay, don't do that, and then. <laughs> Then you learn a couple other words to get you a cookie, so you do more of that. You know? yeah. So, yeah, neural networks are absolutely a learning system, but they 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 haven't made the leap to actually not being sentient, but to know you so well that they make suggestions and they uh, and they improve the stuff you're doing. That's sort of the next block to come here. And, and there's no question. I mean, Jenna, the other thing I, I would say, or I write about this a lot, what most human beings do not understand is, is you have to have 2.1 births for every death in, 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 per year to replace the generation before it. And I, as a boomer, and you as a Zoomer, I'm going to guess, uh, is- Flattery gets yeah. you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I wasn't born yesterday, okay? So um, the uh, we have in Italy and 
France, but Italy and Japan and so on and so forth, there, there is no way they're, they're going to only have about 60% of their population in the next by 2035. That's they're just the math. Open the, you know, there's a big debate in our country about immigration. And really, this is a debate in many countries about immigration. But one thing is absolutely true is that immigration in terms of net population replacement, in terms of replenishing our workforce, has been a good thing from an economic perspective for the United for States. For years, yeah. Yeah. And arguably, that's what Italy and, and Japan and these sorts of countries need more of is some sort of worker program to uh, allow workers to, to do the jobs that they may not have enough people in their own country to do. Well, no yeah. question. But but also, you know, bear in mind, productivity enhancement has been going on for a long time. I told this story about Genghis Khan when, he, when I was in Mongolia. And, they, you know, I didn't really know much about that history. And I'll be damned. How did they wind up taking over seven-eighths of the world? Well, somebody invented this saddle that was didn't move, so you could shoot arrows from it while the other armies were running up and getting arrows tossed into them. And oh yeah, you're on a moving horse. And they just cleaned up. You know, they, they, right. they took over Vietnam for crying out loud. I mean, they were down in Poland. I mean, it was you know. But what happened? Number one, they actually invented a mailing system. Number two, you actually had exports and imports. The 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 mm-hmm. uh, economies grew fantastically. They also by mixing all these various groups of people, made it okay to tolerate someone of a different religion, which was only, you know, the cause of the first 14 centuries of wars, right? So, I mean, we need this progression. I would just say, Janet, on the immigration, the countries that are, you know, we're having immigration problems, but they're not exporting, though, are, are their white-collar workers, are their knowledge workers. Knowledge workers are now becoming, you know, more valuable because now they're going to be able to do more. And then, Todd, my favorite thing is in the UK, uh, the, I read the mail every day. I love the trashiest stuff that you've ever yeah, seen. Right? Yeah. And, and they talked about um, overworking, the idea that people are working in these really dull you know, insurance uh, adjusting, blah, blah, blah. They're using chat GPT and they're using neural network and they're getting their job down, like done 50% faster. So then they're taking side gigs for the other four hours of the day and they're making twice as much money. And that's humanity, baby. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. And it's definitely a topic that we will continue to discuss for, for future shows because it's not going away anytime soon. So that that's for sure. So listen, so that's going to stick with it. We're going to stick with that with this block. We're going to come back after the break, though. I really want to get both of your thoughts on the upcoming inflation data and then the big Fed meeting. Is that going to move the needle for the market? Mm. Whether up or down, we definitely need to talk about it. So today on my own show, we have Tobin Smith and Janet Alvarez. She is the host of the business briefing on, C- on Sirius XM. And we're going to be right back with both of them right after the break. Please stay with us. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? 
Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operator Naomi Knight. Through a roller coaster journey, of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis, from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss, is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales. Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the assuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and finer bookstores near you. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Well, bulls are back and running on Wall Street. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. We saw the S&P 500 up 6 tenths of 1%, increasing the index up 20% since October lows. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are back in a bull market. And here we are back again with Janet Alvarez. She is the host of the Business Briefing on SiriusXM, which can be found on Channel 132. And she's also the chief of the Dallas Express. And we are, we are here with her expertise, along with Tobin Smith, of course, who is out in sunny Los Angeles, California today. Mm-hmm. But Janet, I want to go back to you on this. We have a big week coming up next week. We have the inflation data that's coming out on Tuesday. You have a pivotal Fed meeting on Tuesday, and they'll conclude on Wednesday with, their, uh, with what they're going to do with the, with the interest rates. What do you think? Will we see a pause or will we see another rate hike especially off of the heels of that enormous jobs report we saw last week? I think we're probably going to see a pause. Uh, And the reason I say that is because there's just too much conflicting data. And I think a lot of the news that we're getting uh, indicates that there are, uh, you know, minor problems in the economy and also globally, right? So Europe is now officially in a recession. Uh, Today, we saw unemployment tick higher, uh, jobless claims uh, tick higher, much higher than we had expected. I think there's a general slight softening that should give them a pause. And remember, a lot of the indicators that they're looking at are lagging indicators. So I think right. that you have to give interest rate hikes 12 to 18 months to work through the economy. There's an argument to be made that constricting money supply, that the pace of the increases that we've had thus far, they haven't worked through the economy fully yet, and that the Fed might be prudent take a pause, a hawkish pause, you know, one in which they indicate with the language that they're going to keep a very close eye on indicators uh, and, and just wait and see. Okay, yeah, Toby. Well, I mean, first off, there's this thing called leading indicator that for some reason nobody like looked at and they're negative for 10 months in a row. I mean, it's, that's never happened without a recession, uh, number one. Number two, 
if you look at retail, I mean, when Dollar General gets scalped 20% because people can't afford to go in and buy the dollar, you know, knickknack, that's telling you that the bottom 60% of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, inflation, cost, et cetera, is, is hitting them. I mean, it's hitting them hard. The, the, the flip side of that is that, you know, there's 62 counties in the United States that account for almost 70% of GDP. So it's where you live that makes a difference in the, you know, at the, at the margin, on the margin for this recession. But the big one is, is that the futures market has already put, put out, you know, their vote. They're saying that it's a pause. And the Fed and my friends at the Fed are total gearhead nerds. And they're, they're more about those futures. It's basically the, the direct line of what the market thinks. Um, and they, they do not want to disappoint them. So I'm, I'm and, and uh, Alex is good. Janet, sorry, sorry, my eyes. <laughs> I had to move my camera out here. Oh, yeah, Janet. Uh, I, they're going to they're gonna pause. They're going to be hawkish. But they're going to have to come to grips with the fact that housing costs, shelter costs, wages, um, service costs are 58% of their you know, CPE. And they're, they're not, the housing costs aren't going to move till October. I mean, they can't mathematically because it's a year-over-year thing. So yeah. we're going to be in this four-handle inflation. Uh, and oh, by the way, the commodity prices have, are shown a recession around the world. When you see copper drop 35%, when you see cobalt, which you use in batteries, drop 40%, what is that saying? It's saying in the global economy, we're not going to get any help. We're not going to get any help from China. You look at these storage. We, you know, we're nerds too. We count the uh, storage uh, containers going out of China down eighty percent. I mean, yeah, this post-pandemic well, world has just reversed everything. My opinion is that is that yes, they will pause, but it's a big mistake because the whole point of the rate hikes and the tightening was to lower inflation to that critical mark and they're not even close to that. So you might see a trend there, but are you going to accelerate that trend or are you just gonna sit back and wait and see? And they're just, there seems to be more risk in pausing than actually hiking at least 25 basis points. Now, of course, everybody that watches this is gonna say, well, 25 basis points isn't gonna do anything, but I call bullshit on that. I actually think it does do something because it's a signal to the market that yes, the Fed is going to continue on its path to getting to that critical 2%. It's all behavioral. And really, one of the critical insights that I've heard recently about inflation is that inflation is about consumer perception. If you perceive that things are expensive and becoming more expensive, your behavior reacts accordingly. And that drives... That's Dollar General. That's Dollar General. That's all the big values. It's not only perception, it's a fact. <laughs> I mean, when eggs, when eggs were like five times what they were, you know? Yeah, Hold you on, Toby. Go, Janet. Yeah. Until, until you get inflation down to a level where people perceive that things are not expensive, that things are not getting increasingly more costly, then you're going to have inflationary pressures in the economy. Inflation is the inflation that people perceive. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Go ahead, Toby. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to see four handle. So that's the conundrum. We're going to see 4%. We're not going to see a three-handle on inflation. Literally, it's not possible till November. Um, so therefore, the Fed has is not going to be cutting. And there was a huge amount you know, earlier in this year of people that had come to the conclusion that the first cuts were going to... Remember, Janet? It was like October, November. Okay. We're going to start to see cuts. Well, they were... <laughs> They were, I'd like to find whatever they're drinking. And, uh, you know, maybe well, they're I mean, on lithium. That, I don't know. That said, they're always the long tail risks, right? If they do raise again and 
and it continues to weaken the banking sector in some way and we get a little other crisis going or something, but there are always the long tail risks. There's any acceleration in, in the recessionary pressures. We could, it's within the realm of possibility, we could still see the cut sometime this year. Highly unlike, highly unlike the current economic trajectory. All right. Well, we have a bet, Janet. No cuts. I, no I cuts. Think, I, I agree with you. I just think that. You don't know what the long tail risks are necessarily, and you could always get surprised. Well, well there's that's, no that's... chance. There's no chance the Fed is going to be cutting in 2023, maybe in 24. And I know that they're supposed to be agnostic and they're not politically um, under any any type of a microscope. But there is an election coming up next year. So I would think that somebody in Washington would try to push that a little bit and see if they could get a rate cut here and there to help boost the economy. But listen, that, what I want to know, though, let's talk about real quick. Let's pivot to to oil. We had um, the, the oil uh, in oil um, uh, sector. Up, I'm so sorry. I know. I know. Right. The oil <laughs> sector was should have we should have seen a pop in oil this week. Um, especially with the news coming out of Saudi Arabia. And all we got was a collective yawn. And then today we actually had crude. It was down almost as much as 3% off of news of some deal that the White House is making with Iran, but the White House is backpedaling on that one. But Janet, yeah, but, what do you think? I mean, here, hold on, I want to go to Janet on this yeah. one. Here we are, we're coming up on the, and you talk about uh, trends and, and behavior of consumer. Here we are in the summer. This is, I know that there's the big, um, Canadian uh, smoke uh, that's going on right now, and a lot of people put their weekend travel plans on the back burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very bad, but but the rest of the summer is still going to go on, and people are traveling. Would you suggest that oil be one of those sectors that investors take a close look at? I think oil is is a hard one, right? I think you know, I think OPEC still has outsized impact on on global oil prices, and I just I don't see the consumer willing to have the appetite for higher prices at the pump either. So I, I don't know that, that that's an industry you want to look at right now. Also, capital expenditure domestically by oil firms is pretty low just because the economics of shale aren't making sense right now. And so you're not seeing that CapEx, you're not seeing that trajectory for growth in that industry. And, you know, the, the current administration um, did agree uh, as, as part of the debt ceiling plan uh, to allow for more drilling. Um, but I don't know that that's really going to be enough to sort of galvanize any growth in anytime soon so i just i don't see the theme of oil being a strong one this year well, well yeah, i know a lot, of, a, a lot of your um a lot i'm sure you have a lot of fans there being the chief of the dallas express and you probably have a lot of people there have associated with oil so i figured i would i would turn to you on that one but toby what do you think i mean is this a sector to concentrate on no i mean at the no. price no There's now a, we buy what about hurricane buy, toby <laughs> no no we, we buy energy trusts and then we hedge them because some of these energy trusts are giving us, you know, 21%, 24% yields. But yep. look at Baker Hughes. Look at shale drilling rigs. It's down eight consecutive months. Saudi comes out and they're job boning the, the oil futures guys and saying, we will show you how we could kill you and knock you out. And they, they cut a million barrels. But nobody else in OPEC did anything. Um, you have Russian... Uh, oil going to India and China at $60 a barrel. Why, why the hell would they want to buy $72 barrel oil, even, even though they have crappy oil? But it's, it's, we're right in that point. The world's in a recession. Oil prices don't go up in a recession. You can go back 60 years, 100 years. Oil prices go down in global recessions because demand 
at the margin, at their increment, uh, is not there. Um, so uh, I'm, I was hopeful because uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Devon Energy guy. We've owned it for years. Uh, um, but also the business model, you know, as you know, Janet, has changed. The, we're no more drill baby, drill baby, drill baby. We're pay dividends baby, um, and you know buy back stock. The only reason why we own Devon, but yeah. I don't think I, I don't see it going anywhere until we get out of the global recession. And the United States is in a recession, in the other counties, the uh, the three hundred other counties. Um, it's just that we have these super sectors that you know keep us uh, uh, alive because what twenty four percent of our economy is healthcare. 10% is logistics. I bet you didn't know that, Janet, when you came on this show. <laughs> you know what? I think that uh, oil and gas is a vital national sector in terms of national security. Absolutely. And economic independence. And so I would say that the moment it becomes economical, the capital expenditures should and will rise. Absolutely. And so it's it's not like oil and gas is dead in any way. I just I agree with you that in this recessionary environment, the economics just aren't there. But I think it's just vital to the U.S. economy that we do consider it uh, an essential industry that should be protected, essential industry that should be void. No question. Security interests matter. Yeah, no question. I mean, yeah. actually, energy security is more important than national security and in almost every country in the world now. Um, you know, we always had the... Uh, USA protecting the world, and we had the largest Navy by a factor of 10 and so on and so forth, you know, Pax Americana. Well, now it's Pax Oil Acana. Uh, when you have enough oil and you have enough natural gas, um, uh, and then ultimately when you're going to have enough renewables, uh, we have $2.5 trillion of money from Europe and in the United States and Canada uh, to support building uh, renewables. Uh, it's going to be a slow build. It is security because, remember, everybody thinks about oil like gasoline. You know the biggest ingredient? In pharmaceuticals is oil. I mean, it's a natural yeah. gas. I mean, you know, it, it's it's much more than just filling up your, your tank. And uh, yeah. but just from a trading standpoint, uh, if I was buying oil here, I would be buying a, a put option or something to hedge myself because it can go to 64 very quickly um, as as these refineries. And remember, the refiners were making these stupid spreads for like six yeah. months after the, you know, I mean, Jesus. And now they're making like mini spreads. It went from right. big spread to little spread. Um, right. And, and that means that okay. there's no excess demand for gasoline. Well, I think diesel. this is great. Well, there you go. Well, listen, we're going to close it out right there, guys. So really want to thank you, Janet, for joining us today. And everyone, you can follow Janet Alvarez, follow her on Twitter, watch or listen to her on uh, SiriusXM. She is the host of the Business Briefing on Channel 132. And she's also the chief of the Dallas Express. So listen, and, Janet, and thank you again. For Todd, Todd, I'd like to personally say it's tragic that they don't have video on Sirius. Because <laughs> among the extremely bright, she's pretty easy on the eyes, Todd. I'm just... Oh, I'm okay. just... <laughs> oh my God, okay. All right. So much for having so us. Thank you so much He's for joining blushing. us. We hope to have you back. Okay. Cheers. All right. All right. Thanks again for joining us on Fly Hold Show. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Bye. -bye. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. 
you will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.